Well, today, the topic that I was given is on the book of Job. And I found that uh, even though I'd read through the book of Job in the past, I'd never really done, uh, done a study on, on Job and the book of Job and what it had to say to us for today. And so I found it very fascinating. And it's a fascinating and complex book, really. And uh, nowadays, a lot of scholars are arguing that Job... The story of Job uh, is just an allegorical story that Job wasn't a real person. But traditionally, uh, the traditional scholars would have said that Job was an actual person that did actually live and did experience the things that he went through in the book of Job. Uh, for me, I guess uh, I'm not too bothered either way because the Bible, the Bible often uses uh, real stories and also allegorical stories to teach us. And in fact, Jesus often used parables to teach us, and a parable is really an allegorical story with more than one meaning. And so the Bible uses uh, stories of the past and also stories that were made to, to give us a lesson and to teach us. And so that's what you find in the book of Job. Uh, but one of the biggest questions that skeptics have uh, when they look at the book of Job is, how is it, why is it that God would allow Satan to cause someone so much pain and so much suffering? And that's a very big question. It's a very challenging question for us. And at first glance, uh, it does seem very harsh of God to allow Job to go through that, doesn't it? But then, as I stepped back from the story of Job and began to think about and ponder life in general, I began to realize that the testing of our faith through trials and troubles is something that is not unique to Job, is it? That actually God allows all of us to go through those things at times. And the suffering that Job experienced is not unique to Job. God has never told us that our faithfulness will lead to a life without trouble. In fact, I think the Bible teaches us the exact opposite is true about trouble. Scriptures teach us that we will have trouble in this life. And that none of us will be able to escape that. And the reality is that Satan is the ruler of this world. And that he is causing the trouble. That our world is broken and sinful. And none of us can really escape that while we're in this life. But the reality is, Satan is always trying to cause trouble in our lives. And that wasn't unique to Job. So I believe that, that that's kind of the real point of the book of Job. That in some sense, the book of Job captures the essence of the struggles that we have in our lives. And the fact is that the world is broken, and that's just the reality of it. But no matter how you cut it, no one gets to escape that reality. And so, while it seems harsh that, Satan, that God would allow Satan to, to put Job through that, in reality, God has allowed this world to exist in its brokenness. So the question for us that I think we need to answer is, can we, can we hold on to, can we remain faithful in the midst of what life throws at us? Are we able to find God and cling to God in the midst of the troubles of this life? I think that's the ultimate question that Job presents to us. When Satan approached God and God 
God knew that Job would withstand it and Job would be faithful. Satan thought the opposite. Satan thought that he could destroy Job's faith by throwing trouble at him. But, you know, a thought came to me about this as I was reading the book of Job. And the thought was, in the story of Job, we don't see any guarantees that those things wouldn't have happened to Job anyways. It's interesting, isn't it? That life is hard, particularly in the days of Job. Because, you know, for us today, we have a hard enough time thinking about how hard life would have been a hundred years ago before our modern medicine. And Job was thousands of years ago before modern medicines. You know, nowadays we have antibiotics and vaccines, hopefully with COVID. And uh, we have painkillers. You can take some Nurofen anytime you want to dull the pain. We have all these things. And so we have a hard time even thinking about the kind of pain and suffering that people went through in the past. <clears throat> in fact, it wasn't that long ago when people died of diseases that we think of today as not a problem at all. We didn't even consider some of the things as some of the illnesses we get today as big problems, big issues. Whereas in the past, they would have died from those things. So it's quite possible that God foresaw that, that Job was going to have to suffer these things anyways. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that. That's my own speculation there. But the reality is, Job probably would have suffered a lot of pain in his life regardless of this conversation that God and Satan were having. And the story of, jo of Job is a story of a man who was faithfully living for, for God throughout his, his life, whether he was in abundance or whether he was experiencing great loss. But it's also a story of Job's companions, his friends, or his supposed friends who were supposed to come alongside him and comfort him. But instead they blamed Job for his own troubles. And as you read the story, you discover that his friends were wrong and they misunderstood what was actually taking place. But it's also a story of Job in the fact that he got angry with God, that he complained to God about his circumstances. And we often want to want to look past that and think that that's ungodly in some way. But Job actually cries out to God in anger and frustration. And that's also one of the lessons you learn from the book of Job. That it's okay to be angry about your circumstances. It's okay to question. But within your questioning, it doesn't mean that you have to lose your faith in God at the same time. And so Job said in Job 30, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. That's how Job was feeling at the time. And so Job cries out in anger and frustration at his supposed friends as well. Rather than comfort him, they accused him. What kind of friend is that? Even Job's wife said, you should curse God and die. That's really helpful. <laughs> so the story of Job is a story of his faithfulness in the midst of total and utter loss in the midst of deep, deep sorrow. Yet Job is proved right against all the, all the accusations against, uh, from his friends. He's proved right in that he held on to his faith in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his suffering. 
So by the end of the book, there's this sense of renewal and reward for Job and his faithfulness. But today I wanted to look at the story of Job through the accusations of his three friends. There's basically three accusations that, that they threw at him. And the first accusation is this. Eliphaz, what a name. I, I don't have any idea if I'm saying that correct. Eliphaz, he came to Job and he said, the reason you're suffering is you must have unconfessed sin of some kind. And in reality, that's a complaint I've heard from people that come from some of the other church backgrounds. That they've actually received that accusation from their friends, from their pastors in their churches. And unfortunately, some of the churches from more of the prosperity-oriented backgrounds, they bring these accusations to people. I've had people come to me who were so hurt and so, so devastated by what people had said to them. Like they weren't healed because they didn't have enough faith. Or the reason they don't have enough money is because they haven't given enough. Or that you must have an unconfessed sin in your life. In fact, my grandfather, he died before I was born, just about six months before I was born in 1969. He passed away, and he was only 52 years old, and he had multiple heart attacks. And of course, back then, they didn't really know what to do for heart attacks. But my... Uh, my aunt uh, told me, um, she said, I gave up my faith in God when my father died because a pastor had told her that her father died because he had had some unconfessed sin in his life. And so to this day, she's given up her faith because of that one statement, that one accusation. And so to me, the real sin is that accusation. To say that your pain is caused because of some unconfessed sin, as if the God of the universe is just, just casting down and cursing your life because of your sins. That's not how the Bible portrays God. That's not who God is. And so for me, that accusation itself is the real sin. And Job's reply is this in chapter 6. He says, you have proved to be of no help. <laughs> He said, if I have sinned, please tell me how I have sinned. And I was thinking about this in the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Jesus says that God makes the sun rise on the, on the evil and the good. And he has the sun or the rain fall on the just and the unjust. In other words, life happens to everyone. That good things and bad things happen to everyone whether you're a good person or a bad person, whether you're just or unjust in this life. Now, Jesus was specifically saying in that passage that we should love and pray for those who are close to us and for our enemies. That's, that's the context in which he was speaking. But notice what Jesus did not say there. He did not say, he did not say that faith, your faith determines whether good or bad things will happen to you, whether the sun will shine or... The rain will come on your, on your life. Your faith is not determined by that. The Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the God of all comforts comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those 
in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, when we go through troubles and we're trying to be faithful, God comforts us so that we can comfort those who are also going through trouble. So scripture makes it clear that suffering and trouble is not determined by a person's faith. So you have this accusation. You must have unconfessed sin. What's our response to that then? Our response that choosing faith in the midst of suffering does not eliminate pain. Mickey and I, my wife Mickey and I, have, uh, we, had, um, we have some Facebook friends, and they're a couple that we got to know at the church we were attending in America. We didn't know them well, but you know, you have a lot of Facebook friends that aren't really that close to you, but you know them and you got to know them. <coughs> and this couple, Karina and Ted, we had gotten to know uh, when we were living in America. And uh, Ted had a stroke several weeks ago. And he's been in the hospital ever since. And Karina's kind of been journaling to all of her friends on Facebook about her faith experience and her faith journey through this time of praying and praying for healing for Ted. And I wanted to read her last uh, post that she put up. Uh, I think it speaks to, to just what Job is, is talking about here. She said, I'm sad. My heart is aching. I feared this day would come, but I hoped it would not. As most of you know today, I had to tell my sweetheart that I would see him later and let him go to the arms of Jesus. She said, please don't think I'm heartless when I say this, that it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Don't, make me, don't take me wrong. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, ever. But the alternative was to watch him struggle and to fight when he was completely worn out. It wasn't fair to me to make him fair of me to make him stay and to let the machines breathe every breath for him only to have another complication on another day that would eventually take him away from me anyways. So today we made the hard, heart-wrenching decision to disconnect the artificial things and let him walk home with Jesus. I prayed and I prayed that God would let me bring him home. I asked him to let me walk with him home. Some of you have prayed those same prayers on my behalf, but God had better plans for Ted. You see, in my faith journey, I've learned that prayer isn't a wish list, that God is not Santa Claus. Prayer all by itself can be a journey. Selfishly, I wanted Ted to get well, to get out of his bed, and to be Ted again. The true healing I discovered meant that God would take Ted home with him, where Ted will no longer have any pain, disease, and no more suffering. Isn't that a beautiful response? I just found Karina's response to her husband's uh, suffering and, and now death pretty powerful. Pain does not come because we lack faith as Job's friends uh, accused him of some unconfessed sin. Choosing faith will not eliminate our pain in this life. Accusation number two from Bildad. Bildad comes along and tells Job that the reason you're suffering is you must be angry with God. 
Look at Job's response, chapter 9. He says, if I say, I will forget my complaint, I will change my expression and smile. I still dread all my suffering. He said, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I give you free reign to my complaint. And I speak out in bitterness, in the bitterness of my soul. The lesson we learn here from Job is this, that it's okay to have complaints. It's okay to complain about the condition of our life sometimes. I don't know that God wants us to sit around and whine about it all the time. But it's okay to have complaints. We don't have to be happy about our suffering. And Ephesians 4 tells us, But in your anger do not sin. You see, God gave us the emotion of anger and the emotions of frustration. That's part of who we are as human beings. Even Jesus got angry. And Jesus felt deep sorrow at times. Uh, that He was sorrowful and, and frustrated about the human condition when he went to his friend Lazarus. And the Bible says with the shortest verse, Jesus wept. Within that weeping, you can feel that tension, that frustration, that sadness of the human condition. But Jesus also felt anger at the self-righteous leaders that he was surrounded by. And when they accused him of performing a miracle on the Sabbath, and they, they wanted to kill him for that. The Bible says in Mark 3 that Jesus looked at them in anger and deeply distressed. And then he calls them all hypocrites. You hypocrites, he says. He said that out of frustration, that they were so self-righteous. And then Jesus got angry because the leaders were also making it difficult for people to come to God. Remember in the temple where they were charging higher prices for, for the people to buy sacrifices to offer at the temple. And Jesus went in there, flipped over the tables. He was angry that they would be so cold to prevent people from coming to God. So if Jesus can have anger, I guess that's an emotion we're allowed to experience, isn't it? So accusation two, you must be angry with God. What's our response? Choosing faith in the midst of suffering does not stop the questions. And that's okay. King David wrote in Psalm 13, in the beginning of the psalm, he said, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide yourself from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? David was, was bringing this before God. But by the end of that psalm, he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. He experienced both those emotions. It was, uh, I came across the, a quote from Bono, the great Bono, you know. And uh, in the Rolling Stones magazine, he said this. He said, the music that really turns me on is either running toward God or away from God. Both recognize the pivot, that God is at the center of the jaunt. So the blues, on the one hand, running away. Gospel, the mighty clouds of joy running toward the blues are like the Psalms of David. Here was this character living in a cave whose outbursts 
for as much criticism as praise. There's David singing, Oh God, where are you when I need you? You call yourself God, and you go, This is the blues, Bono said. He said, Both deal with the relationship with God, and that's really it. I've since realized that anger with God is, a, is very valid. You know, I agree with, with Bono. It's okay to be angry with God at times. But in your anger, do not sin. The frustrations that we can feel in this life, it's okay. It's okay to be frustrated sometimes. The real danger in our suffering is that we will run to something other than God, though. You know? That we will seek to drown out our pain in some kind of addiction. Or that, uh, that we'll seek to dull and, and escape from our pain by running to some other sinful behavior. But the lesson we learn from Job is that we need to run toward God even in our pain. Even when we're feeling angry and frustrated, run towards God because God will bring you peace that surpasses understanding. That God will bring reconciliation and renewal. And eventually, like in the case of Ted, that God will bring you to himself where there is no more pain.